Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rave line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is... Going to do the same thing again year after year? Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode four hundred and fifteen, coming to you on Thursday, September 9th. Looking forward to USC's game against the Stanford Cardinal at the Coliseum, seven thirty p.m. Uh, it's Pac-12 After Dark, the Trojans and the Cardinals reuniting their rivalry after a year off. We're going to preview the game and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Rain of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Rain of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. I'm your host, Mike Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, it is a big week. It is the beginning of the Pac-12 season. As usual in week two, which... Yeah, with Stanford. With Stanford, as always. As always, which I'm really interested to know what's going to happen when the alliance comes to fruition. Um, and the Pac-12 ends up going down to, uh, hypothetically, down to eight games. Is the Stanford rivalry no longer going to be in week two? I don't know. I mean, it would make sense. So the part of the reason why USC and Stanford always end up playing in week two is because USC and Stanford always end up playing Notre Dame not in week two. Right. So like the more out of conference matchups that everyone in the Pac-12 has potentially sprinkled throughout the latter part of the season, the less pigeonholed the Pac-12 is to force the USC-Stanford game in week two. Also, if you go to eight conference games, you don't play Stanford every year, so it's just going to shake up the entire entire scheduling model to begin with. So... True. Uh, like, yes. I, I think I, it's going to depend on what, if they do end up playing every year or not. Yeah, yeah and, and, and when they do end up playing, I don't think it's, like, guaranteed to be week two anymore. I don't know. It, it might, I mean, in that point, it might be week three. Yeah. Because of the two out-of-conference games that, that uh, is rumored and all that stuff. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting uh, to uh, to look at. Yeah, in, 20, in 2030, it'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> 2030. 2035. Well, but you know what's weird? This game uh, on Saturday, it's September 11th, the 20th anniversary of, obviously, the terrible uh, 9-11 attacks Uh and the crazy thing is, the first SC game after 9 11 
was what ten days later the or the was it the twenty second or the twenty first I don't remember the the following Saturday, uh, SC played Stanford, they lost and after that game SC did not lose a home game until two thousand nine against Arizona, but that game was was very surreal to be at. Uh, Stephen Sample made a speech. President Stephen Sample at the time uh, made a speech. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a patriotic moment because of what had happened the week before had been USC was on a bye, so they didn't get a canceled game. But like it it feels very recent to me because of it was cemented in my brain uh, that moment. And that was 20 years ago. That that's the wild thing for me that it was 20 years ago. Like and now I'm reading like pieces about like how teenagers today weren't even alive. And I'm like. What? Did, did like I, my formative years were. Did I post mention 9/11. on the podcast? I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast. I mentioned it to somebody how I was watching some show and they're like, coming up su- Sunday at nine, an in depth look at somebody's um uh crusade to to put out uh, the story of of her daughter who passed away in nine eleven. She's been doing this for decades. And I'm like, like decades? decades? What do you mean decades? Like, getting her daughter's story out for decades? Decades? Yeah, no, literal decades. And then I had to think about, it. it's been decades. Yeah, yeah, what? it's it's trippy. It's it's weird. But it's all, it's just, you know, I f- it makes me feel, it makes me feel old. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not old, but it makes me feel like it's been two decades since that, that like, life-changing world-changing moment and and i'm not sure and i'm not sure that people younger than us like i think we were on the cusp of understanding seventh grade yeah what a what a monumental moment in the world that was like we were just old enough to like get that this is huge right and like people younger than us i think my brother's generation he's three and a half years younger than me i think he he also got it but in like a bigger like, you know, like just just being afraid of like the world thing. But like it's weird to think to me that there are people listening to this podcast who are in college right now who don't have a real understanding of like what it was like to live in a in a in a world where you had pre nine eleven and then post nine eleven, like it's just yeah, and not even that, but just to remember that Tuesday morning, yeah. Oh yeah, that Tuesday morning was insane, and that that whole week like is is burned in my brain. I got my I adopted my dog like three or four days later, and I just have these like very distinct memories of like that entire week, that whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, I mean, at that time I was not into football. I had not transitioned into that phase of my life. Uh, so for me, 9-11 and USC, <laughs> my brain jumps to Boston College. Like, that's the memory that I jump to. The whole playing oh, the, Boston the, College yeah, the, when they the were Paisley doing game. when they were doing the, the special uniforms to honor the alum who died in the towers. The red bandana. The red bandana yeah. game. And like, just like going into that game going like this is like bigger than USC and Boston college. And these, right. these, these dudes are playing out of their minds. Uh, and that crowd was out of there like that. The, it was just, it, it was weird. It was kind of special being a part of that too, even though it was awful, but like, that's where my brain goes to when I think of USC and nine 11, it's really just like that Boston college game where it was like, 
Yeah. And that was, you know, what year, what, what year was that? That was 2014. That was a decade on. <laughs> yeah. A, a week after SC had just beaten Stanford uh, in the oh, game. Yeah. 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 And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> with, with another uh, September game. And so, yeah, it's incredible to think that it's been 20 years uh, since that terrible tragedy. Obviously, our hearts uh, go out to anyone that was affected. Obviously, we're all affected. Mentally, emotionally, all those things. Um, it was, it's wild. And here we are with USC and Stanford playing this week again, fittingly. Um, but to do that awkward thing where we transition from a non sad, from a sad thing to a non sad thing, even though this is still sad, probably. I mean, not on the same, not on the same <laughs> scope. On the same scope. Uh, yeah. We did get a new podcast review over an Apple podcast and. Alicia, this one is specifically for you because it is a one-star review on Apple Podcasts. This mm. comes from Mr. Interval, and it says, Overuse of the word like. I tried listening to this podcast after hearing Alicia use the word like or it's like for the 20th time in the first three minutes I had to stop listening. Well, I apologize, Mr. Interval for using filler words on occasion. If that's going to turn you off to the podcast, then I can't help you. <laughs> that's all that's all I can say. Alicia, like why would you like, like why do that? would I like it's like this guy doesn't even get like who I am as a person. Like it's not I'm from the valley. Thank you very much. This Literal is like valley what we'd girl. Say. This is this is like us. This is uh, yeah. I I don't know. And I, I do it too. I'm offended like he Yeah, that like, he didn't catch me. you. Yeah. Uh, 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 like like I said, that's the proper use of that word, by the way. It it's it I have done a lot of work to try to get rid of my filler words when I'm on the podcast. Sometimes I'm really sharp on it and sometimes I'm not. It happens. We're we try not to have those kinds of things. Would you would you say you don't like to use the word I like? don't like to use the word like if oh, I okay. if I'm if I'm processing it. And that's just the way it is. But if that's also going to be the kind of thing that like turns you off from a podcast, I did it just now. If that's going to be the kind of thing that turns you off to a podcast, then I can't help you. And yeah, I'm not going to complain about getting a one star review, but I really wish like people understood how reviews work because I think people don't understand how reviews work. That's uh, well, I don't know. I mean, that's not a good reason to give think me a the one podcast story. sucks because like I mean that's possible like it does yeah because like yeah yeah but I don't know uh, whatever it is I, what it it's is. It, it is what it is and again I can't I can't help like, so just, like if you me. like are listening and like want to like review like the podcast <laughs> so now, you can like give us a five star review like we'll be forever like your best friend uh, over in Apple Podcasts but like if not that's like cool too like. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to the news. Yeah. All right, Alicia. A big nah came through. That would be the nah from the NCAA for Palier Nah Oteote. Uh, he was trying to transfer to Ohio State and play this year for the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes obviously hosting the Oregon Ducks on Saturday morning at 9 a.m., which will be interesting to watch. But 
Polly Naoteote from USC's former linebacker will not be participating. He didn't play in their week one opener against Minnesota either. Um, and will not be playing this season for the Buckeyes. Yeah. It, it, I don't, I don't really understand this one. Uh, apparently it's, it's not about like, it's not a question of the one-time transfer rule. So it's, it's not a normal kind of transfer. Apparently there's some other eligibility consideration to take into account. Uh, the, maybe it's academic, maybe it's. Well, the, the one trying transfer thing doesn't technically go into effect next year or something. Yeah, but they're not denying any any right. waivers and, and like JT got it approved. Everybody, last year. Ev- literally everybody's Everyone gotten it approved. approved. Yeah. So in order for it to not be approved, there's something else which has not been revealed. But there's a different. This this was a, a denial based on some other eligibility concern. So like I don't know if it's he was denied immediately immediate eligibility. In terms of transferring, it sounds more to me like he was denied eligibility to play at all. Right. So, yeah. you know, there are a handful of things that can cause that from a player, and that's clearly what he's gotten wrapped up in. So it's been a weird case with him <laughs> from the get-go. That Colorado game feels like so long oh ago. Oh my gosh, so long three ago. Three years? It's been three years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wish him well. He's going to have to go through this fall not playing in games and maybe we'll see what he Did does next not, year not playing in games. not playing in games yeah yeah. Uh, yeah it's a bummer for him hopefully everything works out uh, for the best going forward uh, and hopefully we'll be able to see him on a field near you at some point uh, Nick Figueroa USC's leading sack leader from 2020 is a game time decision against Stanford on Saturday he had an AC sprain uh, against San Jose State he told Clay Helton during the game, I'm going to be available next week. Uh, Clay Helton said in his Sunday night conference call, it'd be day to day. And now it's a game time decision. Yeah. Then the AC sprain, just as a reminder, is a shoulder sprain. Essentially, it's the AC joint in your shoulder. Uh, it, it sounds like Vixa Oto is planning. I think uh, Keely Ur was, was tweeting about talking to him. And it sounds like Vixa Oto is planning to have him there. It just that he needs to get cleared when it's time to go on Saturday. Yeah. So. Uh, we just expect him to play. But the question always when these guys come back from these kinds of things is he might play. How effective will he be? Will he be hampered by that? That's the question that I think he'll need to answer. Right. Yeah. The AC joint, not the heater joint. Completely different part of the body. <laughs> uh, Gary Bryant Jr. and Jacob Lichtenstein are cleared to play and they should be able to play on Saturday against the Cardinal. Yeah. Gary Bryant Jr. clearing COVID protocols also was dealing with a hamstring injury, but Helton said that he had a good week of practice. And Jacob Lichtenstein, uh, Lichtenstein, I forget which way that one goes. Uh, he was hurt during practice, and it sounds like he'll be okay to go, which is good because USC needs that depth on the defensive line, and they need more receiver options, apparently. Can we talk about SC's geographical roster, by the way? I just realized SC's leading wide receivers <laughs> are London and Washington. The two most powerful cities in the world, <laughs> London and Washington. Yeah. And they've got a Liechtenstein on the roster. Yeah. Are there any more? Orlando is there's a... There's a Todd Orlando. There's an Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's just one of those things, it, man. Does Brock Berlin have a kid and like is SA recruiting him? Like, jeez. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, IBM should play, but his conditioning is a concern for the Trojans on Saturday. Yeah, he wasn't able to practice on Tuesday, so I I don't know. I have not I have not seen that he has officially cleared COVID protocols. If he is cleared, you would expect him to play. But at the same time, Todd Orlando is out there saying uh, this is again per Kiliur that Kalen Bullock is going to play a lot this week. He's been taking first team reps this week. And so that it it will be very interesting to see, do they play it safe with IPM in his return? Do they throw him straight back in? Or, you know, Kalen Bullock performing so well in week one, maybe it gives them the freedom to say, you know what, we don't need to throw you out here, IPM, if you're not up to the conditioning and fully right physically because you've been sitting out for the better part of a week. Jackson, Mississippi, by the Jackson, way. Jackson, lots of Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yeah. yeah. Williams, Drake, Arizona. Drake Jackson, too. Yeah. Jeez, there's a million of them. <laughs> it's almost like cities are often named after surnames. <laughs> you know, I never thought about that. That's, that's a good point. Uh, Tyrell Lando says Kalen Bullock uh, is going to play a lot, and that comes from our friend Kilior. Yeah, just touch on that. Yeah. Yeah. I- I, I'm so distracted by the cities, okay? I know, I know. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> You've got that, your roster pulled up on your screen. <laughs> like, I know what you're doing over there. All right, the, the, let's be real. The biggest news of the week is that tailgating will be allowed on campus, finally, for the first time in two years. Uh, USC fans are going to be able to enjoy the game walking down Trousdale and uh, <sighs> having, a, having a good a good time. Oh, you would. It is Trousdale. I will you not take your Trousdale BS. Ugh. It's Trousdale, baby. Congratulations to everyone who will get to tailgate on campus. I am very jealous because I will not be doing any tailgate on campus, but I will live vicariously through the photos that I expect to see on the Twitters. Trousdale. Trousdale. It's Trousdale. Uh. Tell me. Tell me. Uh, all right, let's get into this game preview. USC and Stanford, the Trojans 1-0, the Cardinal 0-1. Uh, Stanford lost 24-7 last week against the Kansas State Wildcats uh, in Arlington at Jerry World. Wasn't a good weekend for them. Uh, a good week for USC at the end of the day, getting a 30-7 win over San Jose State. Uh, the Trojans were five and one last year. Stanford four and two, but those records sort of deceiving for their different way that their seasons went. Uh, in part for how what it means for this year, because Stanford has lost a bunch of talent. Uh, they only returned fifty five percent of their production from last year, which ranks a hundred and eleventh in the country. And currently, they sit ninetieth in SP plus. This isn't the Stanford of old. Gone is Walker Little. Gone is Davis Mills. Gone is Paulson Adebo. Don is Drew Dalman. Don gone is Simi Fajoko, who's the leading receiver. He got twenty five percent of Stanford's catches last year, double the next receiver, which feels a little USC and Drake London ish. Yeah, uh, except that USC is going to have you know the next blue blood, uh, blue chip. I mean, wide receiver come in and replace Drake London was replacing Michael Pittman was replacing Juju Smith Schuster was replacing. Uh, Marquise Lee was replacing Robert Wood. It's just on and on and on and on. And I don't know that Stanford, I don't know that Stanford has a comparable receiver to Simi Fohoko. And I think that's going to be an issue for them. The hard thing to tell here is, is the team that played Kansas State 
is going to look slightly different because Tanner McKee is now the quarterback. Yeah. They well, let's get into that. Let's, okay. let's, let's talk about uh, the quarterback situation. First of all, I just want to pull a disclaimer here. I don't think there is a team I am simultaneously comfortable with and uncomfortable with talking about than Stanford. Be- because uh, yeah. you, you, you know Stanford, you're familiar with Stanford. At the same time, let's be real, deep down in your heart, do you really? Do you really? Do you really know Stanford in week two? Because what have we learned from Stanford in week two in the last decade? Absolutely nothing. Because we used to talk about, like, this was the game that would set the tone for the season. This is the game that you you, you circle in the offseason, you get ready for, and all that stuff. The, the, the early season tests to, to prove the mettle of these two teams. And yet we've seen moments like 2015, where Stanford comes off of a loss to Northwestern at 9 a.m., and then... They steamroll SC and beat SC twice to go to the Rose Bowl. We've we've seen years like 2016 where SC looks pretty terrible up at Palo Alto, only to go to the Rose Bowl themselves that year. Like mm-hmm. it, it's been a yo-yo. 2017, two, two years ago. what the the year when you know we were all convinced that this USC team was different. Yeah, 2017, the and offense, then, and then the that was a lie. Well. Ever since didn't tw- happen again. Ever since 2017, the problem with Stanford is that Stanford has experienced a significant drop off defensively. I think. Yes. Uh, I think that we used to be able to look at Stanford and say they're going to reload that defensive line. They're going to be tough, physical. There's a reason the body blow theory was about Stanford in the first place. Right. And I don't. They have not had that aura since 2015 to 2017. Like that. It's been years. David Shaw is losing that benefit of the doubt to believe that he can reload his defensive lines, reload. They keep, they keep uh, recruiting great offensive linemen, but their offensive lines are not as dominant as they used to be. And their defensive lines are not as dominant as they used to be. So there are always decent players, dangerous players, Paulson Adibo and NC Fogo, dangerous players, but the team itself has been lacking and I think it all comes down to what happened to that defensive front that deep that that yeah. front seven that it didn't matter who was playing you just knew Stanford's going to be a problem in that area what are you pointing to is it, is it Derek Mason no longer being part of, of Stanford's uh, coaching staff? Na- natural attrition uh, from from you know Derek Mason not being there did, did, okay here's a question did did the coaching staff under Harbaugh has it reached a terminal uh, state uh, similar to what happened with Pete Carroll? I, uh, where, that's exactly what I was about to say. Like j- just the, uh, the the brain drain to where all that's left is is um, is David Shaw. And David Shaw is a great coach, but he can't necessarily do it do it all himself. Yeah. So Lance Anderson has been the DC for eight seasons. Tavita Pritchard has been the OC for fourth for four seasons. Yeah, but I don't think Pritchard that, is someone to write home about. Right, as, exactly. As, as an OC. Yeah, and and Lance Anderson at this point, I I I see a lot of brain drain. That's what I see. I see a lot of brain drain. I see a lot of okay, what are they now? And it might be the the remnants of the Harbaugh era just sort of being gone. It it might be that Stanford was never built to be 
a contender and they overachieved well, for a long time. And that, that's probably the reality of it is that David Shaw was a wizard in how he was able to get the maximum out of these teams. And now Stanford is probably about where they should be, which is a good team on their day. Um, inconsistent, but this is the Stanford of really forever with the exception of the, t- the, the, the peaks and the valleys that, that go beyond that. This middling Stanford is what Stanford football is for the most part. So, yeah, maybe this maybe this is what the what the reality is for David Shaw and company. But uh, to pull it back to this year, uh, let's talk about the cornerback situation. Uh, it was a battle between Tanner McKee and Jack West, two five star quarterbacks going to Stanford, just like they always get five star quarterbacks. Uh, and Jack West won the battle; he got the start. Uh, in week one against Kansas State, but it did not go so well. He was 8 of 12, threw two picks for only 76 yards, and was pulled at halftime, uh, down 14 nothing to Kansas State. Tanner McKee comes in and goes 15 of 18 for 118 yards in the second half, does throw a touchdown pass, but cannot will the Cardinal to a comeback victory. Uh, nonetheless, he is going to get the start. David Shaw is confirmed on Saturday night, so... This is a weird scenario because you'd have to think that Tanner McKee having that success, getting the confidence from week one, going into week two, um, feels like Stanford should be able to move the ball a little bit better. This is still an offense that is trying to work out uh, all of the the misconceptions from or all the misses from last year, right? The losing Davis Mills, losing Fajoko. Uh, losing a couple starters on the offensive line. Like, I just don't know what to make of Stanford with or without McKee. Well, it's impossible to make anything of Stanford because Stanford in week one is the biggest, uh, just don't pay any attention to Stanford in week one. Stanford in week one is always worse than Stanford ends up being in the season. Stanford in week one is is the ultimate, like, teaser of oh they actually aren't that good and then suddenly in week two it's like no we're actually going to give USC a game now so it's hard to know what to expect of this Stanford team because a I don't trust their week one performance and b we don't know enough about any of these players at this point in real life action Tanner McKee does better in the second half than Jack West but it's not like he led he revolutionized what Stanford was doing on offense he scored one touchdown they still lost 24 to 7 they still got outscored in the second half so does that mean anything does that mean that he's suddenly gonna flip the switch and Stanford's offense is going to be formidable I don't know I don't think so but at the same time who knows because Stanford you never know what you're getting out of them coming out of week one the real question that I have when it comes to this game, because I have a, a certain amount of confidence in USC's uh, in USC's defense, especially against a team where it's a little bit like San Jose State, where I'm not sure who's going to hurt you. Like, who's the guy that's going to hurt you on this offense? Uh, I... Tremaine had five catches for 32. Bryson Tremaine had five catches, 30, 62 yards yeah. against Kansas State. Uh, they have you tight ends. Pick one of the tight ends, but um, it, it's it's an interesting kind of uh, uh, transition for the for the Stanford tight ends because there isn't that one dude 
uh, that you're overly afraid of, right? There's, so, there's not a Levine Toilolo here. There's, yeah. there's not a Zach Ertz. But you would be stupid to think that there couldn't be, right? No, there because they're always... Yeah. There, there is uh, Benjamin Urasek. Like, those guys should be involved. Urasek had a few catches uh, in week one against K-State. So don't, don't sleep on those guys. No, no, you never... Again, you never sleep on Stanford. But I am asking the question, like, is this San Jose State part two in the sense that if USC's defense just recreates what they did against San Jose State, they're not going to give up the big play. And if they don't give up the big play, they're not going to give a bunch of points. Yeah, I think there's a big, you know, thing behind that. I think you absolutely can look at that. I mean, we talked about it in the car cast. Is San Jose State the best team USC is going to play in the first half of the season? <laughs> well, Stanford like, has like, to like prove. It's not an incredible, it's not a crazy theory to think about. No, because Stanford needs to prove that wrong at this yes. point, which they should be able to because they're still a Power 5 program right. recruiting Power 5 I players. I would bet on the San Jose State thing being the best team I think if you had Stanford and San Jose State. It's a non-crazy opinion. If you had Stanford play San Jose State outside of week one, I think Stanford probably beat San Jose State. But I don't know. I don't know, I don't know for sure. I'm a little bit. I, I couldn't say like I wouldn't put money on that on, on that presumption. Right. So it's it's one of those things where Stanford has to prove that assertion wrong. And I don't think they're going to necessarily do it against USC because that game's not the one that's going to determine. Like Stanford could beat USC and then lose all the rest of their games and it would not surprise me at all. It's just Stanford and USC have this thing going on. Right. But in order for Stanford to beat USC, they have to put points on the board. And maybe Tanner McKee is is the difference. Maybe he's more uh, more of a danger than than Nick Starkle, maybe. Uh, he's uh, more talented than Nick Starkle, can we say? Less experienced, but more talented. Yeah, that's fair. So maybe that's the thing that, that makes the difference. But at the same time, Stanford gave up, you know, four sacks. I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in over-under, but like Stanford gave up. Stanford's offensive line was not exactly in control of that game. Right. So, and there's a reason they lost. So... I don't see enough from Stanford's offense to suggest that that's where USC is going to lose the game. So you flip it back around on defense and it's a very nondescript Stanford defense. Like, is there someone on this defense that you look at and think they're the next Paulson Adebo? No. Is there the, you know, Stanford had a run of producing really strong linebackers for a while. Right. Um, well, Thomas Booker. Could, Thomas Booker is, is good. But. Could be the guy on, on, on the defensive line. But even last year, he only had three tackles for loss in the sack. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of, of, of Stanford um, to the point where I, <laughs> my imposter syndrome is like throbbing just <laughs> talking about this because I'm like. We sound so stupid talking about a Stanford team that we don't know because we don't know them. Okay, so... Because you never know what Stanford is. But okay. that's just the reality of the situation. Something I like to do is I like to go to... Our, do you know Our Lads? Uh, no. Okay. Our Lads does... OurLads.com, they do... Um, it's like NFL scouting kind of stuff. But why I go there is because they do depth charts. And like they do, they do a pretty good job of like guessing at depth charts. Uh, They're not always right. But like when you look at their USC depth chart every year before anything official is out, they pretty much have their, their pieces in order. You can kind of trust that they, they, they've done their research. 
So one of the things that they do is the depth chart and then it's color coded. So the color coding is like, this is a player that could go in the early round. You go, you pull up the USC page for our lads and it's loading. Uh, but you see, so like Taj Washington, Malcolm X, jo- Joseph Manjack, they're sort of, uh, th- those are the graduate transfers, but Keaton Slovis gets the 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 sort of purple, like he's potentially a first round pick. Isaiah Plumau right. gets the sort of middle rounds. USC's roster looks color coded. Like there are different colors going on that are telling you something about this right. roster. Right. There, there's talent there. Yeah. You go to Stanford's and it is very one note. They're all just listed. There is one guy getting color coded in their in their uh, there are actually two guys getting color coded in their starting 22 and it's Thomas Booker. Yeah, and and I mean, that's it. The 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 irony is that you look at the 24/7 uh sports uh, oh, sorry. talent composite they're still 24th in the country. Outside linebacker Jordan Fox is getting a gray which means he's a potential undrafted free agent camp guy. Well, there you go. Literally everyone else is no. They don't have grad transfers, they don't have like and I don't know if this is just like a failure of our lads maybe isn't doing like the the deep dive in Stanford. And so they're not like showing all. But it just goes to show this is a very meh roster. And I'm trying not to fall back on like meh as a thing as right. often as I have in the past. He, but at least here's the thing. There is this thing about USC football. Where every time we go into an episode like this, where we're like, I just don't know what to make of this team. I don't know who they are. I don't know who they have that's going to be at SC. Um, we've been here before. Most notably, 2019 BYU. What did I say going into 2019 BYU? Uh, y- there was no football reason for yeah. SC to lose that game. Yeah. Here I am. Folks, <laughs> looking into this game, I don't think there's a football reason for SC to lose on Saturday. There is not. Uh, there's a reason Bill Connolly's SP Plus numbers have SC with a 94% win probability against Stanford, no less. Uh, a team, and this is an SC team that, you know, people are, are skeptical of, uh, and yet 94%. And there is no football reason not to pick USC. I'll do you one better because there was no football reason to pick to not to to pick BYU over USC, except that USC was at BYU and USC's bad on the road. Like yeah. USC's at home this at, time. So, so like so there's no football well, or non football reason to pick. No, there is though, but let me walk let me let me walk it down. So the the football reasons why USC win this game. It's at home. They have throttled Stanford the last two times at the Coliseum, mm-hmm. including Stanford uh, being the team that, in which SC scored 42 unanswered points with Keaton Slovis making his first start two years ago. Uh, sorry. It was, yeah, it was his first start uh, two years ago at the Coliseum, uh, a game in which Slovis was incredible. Uh, he threw for 330-something yards, a few touchdowns, was perfect, right? 2017, that offensive explosion uh, against Stanford as well. 
This is a Stanford defense that is not infallible. I think they were 10th last year in yards per play allowed in the conference. Uh, Their offense is middling. They were 5th last year in yards per play in the conference and seemingly are only going backwards, including breaking in a new quarterback in Tanner McKee uh, and losing a significant amount of their production. Uh, This is a USC defense that uh, seemingly is pretty damn good. Uh, They looked really good in week one. They looked really good last year. They got a lot of pressure. Uh, They didn't create any sacks last week, but they created a lot of pressure and a lot of errant throws from Nick Starkle because of it. He barely completed more than 50% of his passes, uh, in part because of the pressure that SC amassed. Stanford just gave up four sacks to to K-State. There... There is no reason to pick Stanford on on those grounds. SC is a even despite their struggles is a good enough team to more than beat Stanford, especially when you look at the line, 17 and a half points. We're going to talk about that more, but all of these things, those are the football reasons. What are the non-football reasons? It's Stanford in week 2. It's Stanford in Week 2 coming off a game in which they fell flat on their face and embarrassed themselves at 9 a.m. We've seen this before. It's Stanford in Week 2 in which they're making a quarterback change. Uh, Yes, two years ago they made the quarterback change from Costello, who was hurt in Week 1 against Northwestern, and then they plug in uh, Davis Mills making a spot start in in Week 2. Remember we talked about QB2 electric boogaloo? Mm Mm-hmm. Slovis against Mills? All those things, the the non the non football reasons, Stanford has a little bit of mojo, even though Stanford lost that QB two game. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, there's mystique. I'm just saying, there's mystique and there's mystique you, you that doubt USC Stanford, gives, and that's when Stanford beats you. There's mystique that USC gives Stanford because realistically, I mean, and, just and just think on, about it. Hold on, like, elephant in the room, SC barely squeaked out. Uh, you, you like it was thirteen to seven in the fourth quarter until yeah. there was a pick six, uh, a late garbage touchdown. Like SC was not at risk of losing last week, but yet they were. Well, SC's offense responded to San Jose State driving down the field to start the third quarter by kicking a field goal. Like that's how USC's offense responded. So again. USC creates the mystique that we give to Stanford here. Realistically, the line for this game is 17 points in favor of USC. Do you know what the line for Ohio State Oregon is? I think it's 14. Yeah. Very good Oregon team going to Ohio State to play Ohio State. Ohio State team that lost everybody from last season too, struggled against Minnesota in week one, and yet they're still favored by 14. That's because Ohio State is dependable to a point. USC is only a 17-point favorite over Stanford because they're not dependable. This should be a 24-point line. This should be a no-question USC is going to spank Stanford all over the park. But it's not because you can't trust USC. And that's why that's that's the non-football reason slash football reason to to be questionable about USC here is because you can't trust USC. It has everything to do with USC and very little to do with Stanford. Let's get an over-under and talk about this game a little, a little bit more, uh, because who knows who you can trust.
So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, let's get into over-under for week two, USC and Stanford. I won over-under last week, 7-3 and three was my record, 5-5 five and five was yours. What's your first over-under of the week? All right, and this goes along with what I talked about earlier, 3.5 sacks for USC. USC had zero against San Jose State, but you and I both agree that the pressure was good. It wasn't for lack of trying, and they did unnerve the quarterback. Stanford gave up four sacks to Kansas State in that opener. USC has a better pass rush than Kansas State. I don't think I am being unreasonable for saying that. So will USC at least match Kansas State in their sack total? So I feel like three and a half is a big line for a sack total line. I would, I think I will always take the under on that. But there's part of me that's like, come on, SC is due. They didn't get to Starkle in week one. Uh, McKee, not as... Young quarterbacks take sacks. This is true. Uh, McKee, not as nimble as Starkle, even though Starkle isn't that nimble either. Um, I'm feeling bold. Give me the over. Ah, okay. Okay. Okay, what's yours? Real bold, I know. Uh, Mine, first one. Uh, USC, 5.4 sack-adjusted yards per carry. Uh, This is just, what's your yards per carry if you just take out the sacks? 5.4 yards per carry over under. That's what it was last week against San Jose State, 5.4. I got burned by taking the under on a rushing total last week, but I'm going to do it again just because I think that USC, the, the, the chances of them actually being the rushing team that they looked like against uh, against Stanford, I mean, against San Jose State, I, I it's got to just be, I got to take the under. I'm just taking the under always. Good with me. Uh, K-State averaged six and a half yards per carry last week. Uh, mind you, that was buoyed by a big long run they had uh, to score their second TD. Uh, what's your next over under? All right, we got 9.5 points allowed by USC's defense. So Stanford only scored seven against Kansas State. USC allowed single digits for the first time since 2016, 57 games. USC had not allowed single digits. So this is set up for USC to repeat, to get to get a streak going on the single-digit scoring. Will they do it? I would not be surprised if SC held Stanford to seven points or less, or even in this point, in this over-under, nine points or less. Uh, but I got to take the over here. Yeah, I, I think just knowing the way that football goes, it's it's kind of hard for teams not to score at a certain point in a game. But I, I, I'm okay with taking the under. I think USC's defense got this. All right, my next one. Over, under, three and a half targets. Targets, not catches, targets. For USC wide receivers not named London or Washington. I guess they're really not named after a major world capital. <laughs> Just need to bring in a Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a New Delhi. Yeah. Yeah. Is there is there a uh, a Singapore? Is there, there a, a Singapore? is there a city named Ford? Or a city named Bryant? I'm sure there is. I feel like there's got to be like a Ford Nebraska somewhere. Yeah. There's definitely a Ford Nebraska. There's a Dodge City. Uh, there's there's, there's got to be a Ford. There's a Ford Nebraska and there's a Bryant Iowa or something like that. You just know it. It's got to be. Okay. I will go with. Over because Gary Bryant Jr. will account for at least three of those targets. Okay. I I respect it. I, I think you're probably right. We'll see 
we'll see how that comes uh, to fruition. Three and a half targets was the line. Uh, next one is your last one. What's your what is it? Uh, one point five USC red zone trips without a touchdown. We have <laughs> talked about USC's red zone troubles. Part of the problem with setting this line is how often will USC get into the red zone in the first place? Oh, at least yeah. I don't know. I put one point five. I just are are you just wanting to give me this? Non-real currency that we play with <laughs> in this in this podcast. Perhaps. Over. Lock it up. Okay. That's red zone trips without a touchdown. Moving on. My last one. 59 and a half plays for Stanford. Uh, why is this important? Because Stanford averaged 59 and a half plays against USC in their last four uh, games against the Trojans. Uh, that dates back to 2016. That's four games. Uh, it's also notable because Stanford averaged 70 uh, plays per game last year. And you think, well, why would you set the line at 59 and a half? Because the Cardinal had 52 against K-State. K-State only had 45 last week. Uh, the 52 was the fewest for Stanford in a game since 51 that they had against Pitt in the 2018 Sun Bowl. Uh, there was a tweet from Ryan McChrystal uh, from uh, Sharp Football that said Stanford's offense ran a play once every 37.9 seconds on Saturday while trailing the entire game. Yikes. Yikes. Um, I'm over, try- over under 59 and a half plays for Stanford. Okay, so San Jose State had 65 plays against USC, and they were coming off a game, granted, against FCS Southern Utah that they blew them out, where they had 53 plays. So... I'm going to go with the over, mostly because I think USC's defense is the type that's going to give you plays here and there, but ultimately stop you down the line. I don't think they're, I don't know that this defense is going to get a a ton of three and outs. So uh, yeah, I'll go over. All right. That locks me into the under. That's going to be it for over under. Let's get into game predictions. Uh, Bill Colley's metrics over at ESPN with the SP Plus. He, he he's predicting USC to win forty three to sixteen with a win probability of ninety four percent for the Trojans. Uh, the win in Vegas says USC by seventeen and a half. That is the line, Alicia. What's your game prediction? Uh, poor Bill Connolly. His numbers love USC's offense. I think USC ranks seventh nationally in offense. That's because Bill Connolly's numbers don't understand that USC's offense is not nearly as good as they are on paper. So they ain't scoring 43. Famous last words. I know. Clip that. Whatever. Uh, I'm going USC 27 because it will be deeply disappointing. But Stanford is also deeply disappointing. Stanford 15. I'm betting against myself on that over under. USC wins by 12. Just comfortable enough that we get to have the same arguments as we had last week about it was okay. It wasn't okay. Blah, blah, blah. I can't wait for that car cast. Uh, my prediction, remember, folks, there is no football reason for USC to lose this game. He's just asking for the upset, guys. And so I'm going to pick SC. I picked SC in the in the preview, uh, the season predictions episode. Uh, I'm sticking with it. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if Stanford got the win here uh, because because football. Uh, but uh, let's say I see 34-13. Okay. 
Not saying it's gonna be a pretty thirty-four to thirteen. No, I but wouldn't. A, ex- a, I would not dream of it. But nope. a, but a thirty-four nope. to thirteen. USC can win by twenty-three points again. And I guarantee you, it won't be pretty. That's just not this team's mo. We'll see. They they won by by twenty-five points last no. time. Yeah, and that mm. was real pretty. Mm. Last time we had Stanford, right? Twenty-nineteen. So, uh, all right, we got a really short mailbag. So let's get to that uh, to wrap this thing up. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to a voicemail we got from Scott in Memphis. Hey, uh, Michael, Alicia, this is Scott from Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, giving you a call, uh, watch the game. I thought kind of the same things that you touched on with the car cast about exactly the same thing. So, well, I'm worried about Stanford because they lost, not because they won or they look good. It's because of the fact that they're going to be coming in and trying to prove something. I want to get your thoughts on that. And also, I was concerned about the fact that UCLA looks so good. And my concern is is the fact that if Chip Kelly is turning UCLA around, I know you touched upon it for a moment, your car cast, when you were watching the game while you were doing it. And LSU may be questionable. So that may be the only thing that we can hope for because we definitely don't want little brother to start to think, they can do something great. Anyway, uh, get your thoughts on that. And welcome back. I was getting a little worried about you two. Uh, y'all hadn't posted much in the Reign of Toy. And frankly, I was worried that you were above ground or not. But good to hear from you and look forward to hearing from your thoughts. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much, Scott. Nice to hear from you. And yeah, we're doing okay. We just had to take an impromptu summer break because life got in the way. Um, but, uh, and life and work and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I, I was nodding along as you were talking about how you're scared of Stanford because they lost. That is exactly Stanford MO to come out in week one, looking slow and then, and then challenge USC in week two. They're always better than they are in week one. They figure things out to a point. But again, the Stanford team, it's just diminishing returns from Stanford. So are are they as scary as they've been in the past? I don't think you can look at this team and think they are. As I said before, USC is the issue here. If USC doesn't win this game, it's because USC is the issue. So uh, is that comforting at all? No, I don't think that's comforting at all. But uh, it is it is what it is. As for LSU, um, I think Michael and I are both on the record. We don't think LSU is all that good, but good on UCLA for coming to play in that game. Like, I think the thing you have to worry about with UCLA is just that they're starting to beat the teams that they should. And they haven't done that under Chip Kelly necessarily consistently. I have a question. If LSU was the same exact team, but they were wearing Mississippi State jerseys, how would people feel about that UCLA team right now? It would still be a Mississippi State team that won the national title. As no, 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 no. We're not talking about just like they're the exact same team, but they're just wearing Mississippi State jerseys. Oh, no. I, but the context of the 2019 title is the only thing that's keeping LSU afloat that's right now. That's the point. I'm removing that. Yeah. In that case, no. No one would think it was that big of a deal. That's what I'm saying. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 UCLA should have won last week. Um, they won by what, 11 points? Uh, it wasn't the dominant win. Uh, it was a good win for them and a win that they needed and good for them. I think they were really good last year. I, I think, 
oh, UCLA is starting to look like the team that UCLA should have been this entire time. Which is not to yes, say that they're yeah. an actual contender in the Pac-12. They still have to prove that. But like, absolutely they, formidable. Sh- they should absolutely have been involved in the Pac-12 South yeah. title uh, challenge. They're absolutely. In the last it, few years. They should always be up in that yeah. conversation. And that's what they look like now. Yeah. They're absolutely in the tier with SC, Utah, and ASU. Yeah. Yeah. It's a four-horse race in the South, which should be fun. Yes. So, 100%. Um, but again... Tell me about that LSU game if they were wearing Mississippi State jerseys. I feel like people wouldn't be as hyped as they are on, yeah. on UCLA. Yeah. And and I say this as a proponent. Of, I like this UCLA team. Like, I really do. Yeah. Like, I, it's just, I, I. Your argument has always been, like, UCLA was good last year. Why are we just figuring this that's out? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Uh, we got a tweet from Joe who says, great recap episode, but I got a couple thoughts. Number one, if Cliff Kingsbury had a realistic buyout, would the Arizona Cardinals have paid it? Yes. Yeah. The The, the problem with Lynn Swan and the buyout thing with, with Cliff Kingsbury wasn't that there was a buyout. It wasn't that the buyout would have deterred what happened. It was that SC just didn't get as much compensation as they could have gotten. Yeah, they, they should have. It should have been that if you want to go get Cliff Kingsbury so quickly and make him turn his back on the, on his new commitment to USC, you've got to pay through the nose for it. You got to pay for our, the first year of our next offensive coordinator, who we can now throw half a million dollars at. Like, and and if you're the Arizona Cardinals, if you want a head coach, yeah, you pay that. You pay that. Yeah. Yes. The Cardinals wanted Cliff. It was it just, that's what screwed USC. The Cardinals really wanted Cliff. Were they wise about that? Oh, who knows? But they really wanted him. And that's the one thing that's happened to USC that I feel like they had very little control over. And I don't blame USC for what happened there. Yeah, me, me neither. Uh, Joe, second question. Graham Harrell is an average OC at best at the power five level. No innovation. Play one doesn't set up play two, etc. He has not matured as a play caller as Clay Helton offers nothing. Keaton Slovis is still locked on one wide receiver. Yeah, USC hired Graham Harrell as Cliff Kingsbury light, hoping that he would develop into something. Harrell is driving a car that is more valuable than he should be allowed to drive at his age and experience level. That That's it. That's... Yeah. And the the problem for SC is like, the- and and the problem for SC is that they have a coach who got a job that he was not qualified for and shouldn't have been handed the keys to that particular car, right. and then he turned around and handed the other Ferrari to, uh, to two successive offensive coordinators who, yeah, didn't. Have, when, if you're going to get a Ferrari to anyone, you give it to someone like Carlos Sainz, who has at least cut his teeth at a few ex- teams. Exactly. You don't stick Nikita Mazepin in. Uh, a Ferrari. A Ferrari. Or even Mick Schumacher. You don't stick Mick Schumacher in the Ferrari straight away. You got to send him to Haas and have him cut his teeth at Haas. Right. USC has not figured that out. This is true. There you go. All right. Uh, there's your F1 analogy for the day. Uh, and with that, it looks like we've run out of time for the hangers discussion again. <laughs> oh, shucks. Damn. All right. Uh, if you really want the hangers discussion... Let us know, and we'll we'll see if we can squeeze it in. We'll do a whole hangers episode. We might, yeah. We might have to do that. Um, but yeah, that's gonna wrap up the this preview: USC and Stanford. 
Locking Horns at the Coliseum. Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Pac-12 after dark. Uh, that's going to wrap this thing up. Alicia, you got a final word? The final word is Watt. As in, J.J. Watt just made a lot of money. What's the what's the de- details? Uh, I don't know. He's the highest paid defensive player in the NFL. Even though he was like good like four years ago? Not J.J. Watt. T.J. Watt. Oh, you said J.J. Did I say J.J.? No, you I said T.J. I'm okay, like, here what? we go. He signed a four-year extension worth $112 million, averaging $28 million per year with $80 million guaranteed. Yikes. So he's uncuttable. Uh, See, me and Madden wouldn't make that <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Cash I, only deals from me, baby. $80 million guaranteed sounds pretty darn nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, until then, we'll see you. See ya. See ya. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc wilson you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar how did you do it i got a huge assist from grammarly an ai writing partner that helped me make my point 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.